Welcome to this verse-by-verse Bible teaching from Calvary Queen Creek in Arizona with Assistant Pastor Darrell Logan. We hope you're blessed by listening. Romans 10.17 says, Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. For more information, please visit calvaryqueencreek.org. Father, we thank you for who you are and what you are to us. We thank you, Lord, for the truths that are revealed in your Word. Your word is faithful because you are faithful. Your word is eternal because you are eternal. We thank you, Lord, that your word has been settled in heaven and it'll never change. So, Father, we pray over this teaching tonight. We pray that you help us to understand whatever's being shared. I pray, Lord, that we'll gain a greater appreciation for you, Lord, and that you would give us more and more discernment to uh, tell the difference between truth and error. So we pray, Father, for just a fresh filling of your spirit. We pray for sensitivity to your Holy Spirit. And may you just bless this night. I pray for the gift of teaching. May you be glorified in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 So uh, we are doing uh, a study in the book of Genesis. And so um, we have... um, covered chapter one um, of Genesis, and I just thought it was a good time to uh, take a pause and cover uh, the theory of evolution and its flaws, since I know some people are probably wondering, and I think this will be an appropriate place. And on top of that, I didn't think um, it, it was a good thing to squeeze all of this in into the first or second lessons that we've gone through in Genesis chapter one. And so I uh, just want to put a disclaimer out there. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm not, a, um, I guess, an expert. Um, I'm, I'm just a person who have read and studied the information that's out there. And I'm just a person who prayed that the Lord would give me whatever it is he wants me to share, to sift through the information and to um, hopefully present it in a way that would be understandable uh, to both of us, because sometimes I say things and I don't even know. I'm like, okay, I know they didn't get it if, if it came out that way. So, so keep us all in prayer. And so the title of the study is A Flawed Theory, A Flawed Theory. And it's also subtitled Flaws in the Theory of Evolution, Flaws in the Theory of Evolution. So a theory is a plausible or scientifically acceptable general principle or body of principles offered to explain phenomena. Another definition of a theory is an unproved assumption, an unproved assumption. And so the theory of evolution proposes uh, that the various types of plants, animals, and, and other living creatures on the earth have their origin and other pre-existing types. The theory of evolution proposes that those distinguishable differences in all of the plants, animals, and other living things are because of modifications in successive generations. But this idea of evolution is not something that is new. Uh, Many of you have heard of Charles Darwin, but it is not, he's not the first one who, who thought this way because it's been around, this thought, this idea of evolution has been around since the ancient Greek philosophers. 
but it was Darwin who lived from 1809 through 1882 who was the first to make evolution popular in his book. And his book is entitled The Origin of Species by Means of Natural Selection, and that was published in 1859. Now, Darwin believed that every species of animal came from a few simple original life forms through a process called, and you heard it before, natural selection. In other words, it's called the survival of the fittest. And so the the living things or the organisms that are best suited to their environment, they're the ones that supposedly will survive and then they're passed on their genetics. And then, of course, over time, the, the traits of these organisms become dominant in the population. And again, this is what he believes. So I don't want somebody tuning in at the wrong time and think that this is what we believe here. But where could Charles Darwin have gotten this idea of survival of the fittest? Well, one place he got this idea is from farmers because he noticed that farmers could breed all kinds of animal varieties using artificial selection. And so based on what he observed, he concluded that the that whole new types of organisms could evolve naturally over millions of years, which his friends Charles Lyell proposed. And so once again, this, this is where he's getting these ideas from. And so according to Darwin's theory, these changes, they were not big leaps, big, uh, these huge changes. They weren't sudden changes, but according to him, they were small incremental steps. And so even today, we can all recognize, you know, these little changes in species, um, you know, whether you believe in creation or evolution. And so that's called microevolution or, um, you know, we like to say speciation within created kinds. And so you have these these little adaptations, but those animals still remain what they were. They're not changing to any other species. So that will be macroevolution. But yeah, we can see adaptations. For example, when Darwin, Darwin looked at those finches, finches with the type of bird with those uh, different beaks or so forth, uh, those beaks were, uh, those sizes change in response to uh, the environment the environmental pressures. And so, yeah, things like that happen, adaptations, but it's still a bird. It's still a finch. There's no macro evolution where it changes into a whole different species. And so, in other words, we don't believe in molecules to man evolutions, or we don't believe in particles to people evolution. You can't even observe that. But, but you can observe those, those changes within species, the adaptations. But again, they're still remaining what they were created to be. You can't observe those. Now, people who believe in evolution, we will call them evolutionists. They generally believe that the universe began with a Big Bang. And so many of you have heard about the Big Bang theory. And so according to this theory, the universe began as a hot and this infinitely dense point. And so according to them, 13.7 billion years ago, that little dense point all of a sudden violently exploded. And so that's according to them when matter, energy, space, and time came into being. 
And then after that, that big bang, the universe began to expand. The temperature cooled down. The, the gravity uh, condensed the gases. And, and then you had these galaxies that were formed and so forth. And again, this is this big bang theory. And then according to them, the earth came into being about 4.5 billion years ago, which, of course, we don't we don't believe it was you know, that the earth is that old. This earth, according to this theory, supposedly had a hostile environment. And then eventually, just all of a sudden, out of the blue, the, the planet Earth developed conditions that were, quote unquote, just right for life. And then evolutionists also believe that the first sign of life came into being through series of accidents. That word is going to come back, accidents. And these accidents supposedly combine chemicals and energy, maybe from lightning. Another possibility is that life formed in the oceans in what some evolutions call prebiotic or primordial soup. I mean, you have to ask the question, if that's true, where did the material for the soup come from? I'm getting ahead of myself, but you have to ask that question. Uh, Basically, Earth's original blend of gases, according to them, produced a broth of organic molecules when exposed to light and heat, eventually forming the building blocks of life in amino acids, according to this one person with the last name Delbert in 2022. So, So basically, evolutionists believe that mutations, in other words, that's, that's going to come up again. Mutations, they believe that was behind the creation of all of these new variations of, uh, of animals and plants that we see. They believe that within enough time and with enough beneficial mutation, one kind of organism can turn into another kind of organism. Macroevolution. So, so, so this is what they believe. But, of course, there are some flaws in this theory of evolution, and one of them is the complexity of our universe. The universe God created is complex. And so this is how complex it is, that if the earth were 5% closer to the sun, it would have conditions like the planet Venus. It would have this massive greenhouse effect, and the surface temperature would be above 900 degrees if we were 5% closer to the sun. And then if the earth were uh, 20% further from the sun, no liquid water would be possible on the earth and our planet would be predominantly a carbon dioxide atmosphere like the planet Mars. And here's something else interesting about the complexity of our universe. And of course, our the planet we live on is in this universe. Just, just think about this. In, in, in our solar systems, 99.99% of the area of our solar systems cannot support life. Which means that only 0.01% in our solar system can support life. And guess what? We're living on this planet. That, that's, that's, that's staggering if you really think about it. And notice this about the tilt of the earth's axis. It is perfectly set at 23.5 degrees. 
If the tilt of the earth's axis were off by as much as half a percent in either way, in either direction, then the surface temperature of the earth would be too high to support life. Listen, we live in Arizona. It's hot enough. We don't need any more tilting, but, but God is so wise. J- just enough of a tilt. And, and so really in conclusion, because I, I could list a lot of these, but in conclusion, there are about or over, I should say, 20 factors that have to be in perfect alignment at the same time in order for even the possibility of life to occur on our planet or any other planetary body. And so that's the first flaw in the theory of evolution. The second one is the first and second laws of thermodynamics. And by the way, I'm not an engineer, but I have two sons who are. And so I'm kind of trying to catch up to them with this. But thermodynamics is the branch of physics that deals with the relationships between heat and other forms of energy. And so in particular, when we talk about thermodynamics, it describes how how thermal energy is converted to and from other forms of energy and how thermal energy affects matter. And so in that first law of thermodynamics um, is pretty much what you have is what they would call the conservation of matter and energy. And so if there's so much matter and energy on one side, then there should be the same amount of matter and energy after a reaction. And so this is a little illustration here. Um, I pulled from a video, took a snapshot of it. And so you see the, the boiler to, well, I guess to my left. And, you know, you see how that energy started from the coal or so forth, and it goes all the way through to the generator. And so you, so, you see the same um, amount of matter and energy on one side um, and is being transferred to the other side. And so with this first law of thermodynamics, um, evolution pretty much falls apart because what you're saying is that you're getting this energy from the Big Bang from zero energy. That, that's what they're saying with no God involved. And then you have the second law of thermal dynamics. And that means that uh, the universe is running down. And that contradicts, of course, the theory of evolution, because the theory of evolution says that things are becoming more and more ordered. Things are getting better. Things are improving. That's what the theory of evolution says. But according to the second law of thermodynamics, the amount of energy in the universe is, is actually dissipating over time. And it's becoming less and less ordered. So eventually the universe will suffer death. Actually, the scriptures talk about that. One day going to be new heavens and a new earth. There's going to be a new universe, new earth. And this law of everything running down actually came into effect because of the sin of Adam and Eve. But I want to turn your attention to Colossians 1.17. So we go in a little Bible here. It says, and he is before all things and in him all things consist. So even though the second law of thermodynamics, we can we can see that we can see things running down. We serve a God who is holding all things together. 
to where it's not running down faster than it should run down. And I like how it reads in the New Living Translation. It says that he existed before anything else. And watch this. He holds all creation together. So if you want to know why everything isn't falling apart, it's because our Lord is holding everything together. And I have a question for you tonight. That if this is true, which it is true, that that he is the one who is holding all creation together, why wouldn't he be able to hold your lives together? The the lives that you feel are falling apart and, and you just can't pick up the pieces. Well, God is the one who's able to pick up those pieces and hold everything in your life together. And so we need to consistently go back to the scriptures and understand the God we serve. Look at his attributes. Look at the way um, he feels about us, what he says about us. And don't listen to the lies of the enemy. But then there's another problem. And here's the word I told you to remember. There is a mutation problem. Because for the theory of evolution to work, there has to be mutations. In order for things to get, quote unquote, better or evolve. And so mutations are thought to drive uh, evolutions. But the thing is, is that with a mutation, um, it doesn't add information. So no information is added with mutation. In fact, it, it could only change the DNA by deleting, by damaging by duplicating or substituting information that's already there. It doesn't add anything. So if it doesn't add anything, then how, then how can one creature become another? You see that? So, so mutation is a problem for them. But, but get this, in order for information to be added or for that information in that DNA to be there in the first place, wouldn't there be required? There would, there were. um, be this requirement for an intelligent source, an intelligent source of information. And we know that intelligent source to be God, none other than the God of the Bible. Genesis 124, we read this in one of the last studies. It says, then God said, let the earth bring forth the living creature according to its kind. So everything is going to reproduce after its kind. It's not going to turn into something else. An ape is not going to become a human. A bird is not going to become a lizard or whatever they say it's going to become. It says here, as we continue in Genesis 124, cattle and creeping thing and beasts of the earth, each according to its kind, and it was so. So this is the God we serve. This is what he set in place. And then there is a fourth flaw in the theory of evolution. And this is the failure to demonstrate common links between apes and humans. Well, first of all, you and some of you may have heard of this. And you have this Java man, supposedly Java man, but uh, before his death, Dr. Du Bois admitted that he found the skull caps and leg bones in completely different locations. And so he had to take back his claim that his find was an ancestor to humans. 
So Java man was proven to be false. Proven to be a false link between apes and humans. And same thing with this piltdown man. And by this way, by the way, this is just a recreation of supposedly what they found. But until 1953, a closer examination of the skull revealed that the bones were actually treated in chemicals to make them look old. And so the calcium deposits in the skull and jaw, uh, they were also found to be very different from each other, therefore proving they were not from the same skeleton. Uh, And the teeth were also filed to make them look human-like. And so here you have a hoax. There's no link between ape and human. You're going to find this theme over and over as I continue to turn the slides. And so, by the way, for this down man the 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 jaw was from an orangutan but the um, skull cap was human and they tried to pass it off as a missing link same thing with the nebraska man here you see a tooth Um, and so further examination later in 1924 or maybe 1922 it revealed that this tooth was not from an ape man but actually from an extinct species of pig Another hoax, misinformation. Lucy, I remember Lucy when I was in school. But first of all, the hip and knee joints of Lucy, they were again found in different locations from the rest of the skeleton. And so it was confirmed that the hip and knee joints were actually 100%, 100% ape-like, no missing links. There's evolution. You would expect there to be missing links between the old species and the new species. Then you had the, and these are just some of them. I I can't list them all. Cro-Magnon man. Uh, They found out what Cro-Magnons were completely human. They were not missing links between apes and human. Um, Another one, Neanderthal man. That's uh, supposedly what he would look like if you flesh fleshed out the skeleton or whatever. Uh, But analysis, I was going to say something that, (laughs) I was going to say, some of you are probably looking at that and say, that looked like Pastor Durrell with a ponytail, but (laughs) don't say that. (laughs) You hurt my feelings. But anyway, I don't know, my mind is crazy. But anyway, Neanderthal man. So analysis of these skeletons have found that the Neanderthals suffered from vitamin D deficiency. And so that's what actually caused them to walk in the slouch fashion. Not that they were some kind of intermediate form between an ape and a human. And so, again, Neanderthal man has been been reclassified or reclassified or whatever as 100% human. No missing links. And so all of these supposed ape men or whatever... They can be classified as either 100% human or 100% ape, but no transitional form. But what about those pictures in the textbooks? They're just pictures. They're illustrations. People are making drawings, creating drawings uh, according to what they think of of how it should be if their theory were true. And so you'll you'll never uh, see a real life transitional you know, picture or whatever from ape to human because there are no transitional links between ape and human. 
And so, you know, there's some people who may be wondering, well, well, how come there's so many similarities? And, and I see some similarities between, you know, monkeys or apes and, and humans and so forth. You know, why is that? Well, let me ask you this. Look, look at these pictures. I mean, can you tell that these paintings were pretty much from the same person? I mean, they're not exactly the same, but they have some similarities. Why do they have similarities? They have some similarities or a particular style because it came from the same artist, Pablo Picasso. And so it's the same thing with God because apes and chimps or whatever and humans have the same creator. You're going to see some similarities. We're his humans. That is, we are made in the image of God. But God is the designer of all creatures. So if there, are, if there are any similarities, that just means that we have a common designer. But then there's another problem with the theory of evolution, another flaw, and that's the fossil record. Because we have a fossil record that left behind billions of fossils, um, which means that there had to be some event that caused all of these fossils, these animals, these creatures to be buried quickly. And that event, of course, would be something like a global flood, which we do see in the scriptures. Because the only way to get a fossil is if it's rapidly buried, it has to be quickly buried. But when you look at the fossil record, there's no evidence in the fossil record for evolution. Because if evolution were true, you would see uh, all these types of transitional forms. You would see all these different types of creatures that, um, that show you how they look before they, came, before they became a new species. That's what we call these transitional forms. You would see that in the fossil record, but there are none. In fact, some of the leading evolutionists have admitted that, that there are no transitional forms in the fossil record. So there's no missing link, so to speak, between an ape and human. You would see that in the fossil record if it's true, but it's not there. See, the absence of these transitional forms in the fossil record, it led many um, evolutionists to propose this new theory for macroevolution. They call it punctuated equilibrium. So now some of them are saying that, you know, Darwin was kind of right about evolution, but he was wrong in saying that it's going to take a lot of time, you know, before these species to change into another species. He said, no, it happened in bursts. You know, they just happened quickly. And so that's this is their new some of their new uh, theory. They have to keep adding to it because it's not based on the truth. Because the fossil record shows a complex fossilized life that suddenly appeared, that, was, that didn't appear over time, but they suddenly appeared. And then there are major gaps in the uh, fossil record between every major kind of life. What does that sound like? That sounds like the Bible, where it says that God made everything after its kind and everything reproduces after its kind. But then there's a sixth a flaw in the theory of evolution. And there are many more, by the way, but I stuck to 10. And so in the sixth flaw, um, you have this high information that's 
within the DNA molecules. And so here's the thing about uh, DNA. If you take a pin-sized amount of DNA, it has a billion times more information capacity than a four gigabit hard drive. Just a pin-sized amount of DNA. And it also can contain multiple copies of all the information necessary to build and maintain things as complex as the human brain and body. It's also self-replicating. That's just a pinhead size amount of DNA. That's how much information it has. Which means, once again, that high information that's included within DNA could only have come from intelligence. And by the way, the DNA is so important that the, 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 the fact is that us as humans, we inherit half of our nuclear DNA from a male parent and the other half um, of the DNA from our female parent, from mom and dad. And so that's how God designed it. And so there's tons of information there in DNA. Evolution can't account for that. And that's because, once again, information would come from an information source. It would come from intelligence, an intelligent God. But number seven, another flaw of evolution is the inaccurate radioactive dating methods because they want to say that, that the earth and so forth was created billions, millions and billions of years ago. And so these radioactive dating methods that evolutionists use to assign these millions and billions of years, you know, when they, when they try to date these rocks, it's actually based on um, assumptions that are questionable. And so the results are unreliable. And so they already come with a, their worldview and they read into it. But the most well-known of all of these radiometric dating methods is what we would call radioactive or I'm sorry, radiocarbon dating. And so although many people think radiocarbon dating is used to date rocks, it's actually limited to things that contain the element carbon and were once alive like fossils. See, when an animal dies, what happens is that the carbon 14, it continues to break down into nitrogen 14 and it, and it begins to escape once that animal dies, once that living creature dies. And so when it dies, there's no new carbon 14 that's being added to that animal because they're not eating plants or so forth. And so by comparing the surviving amount of carbon 14 to the original amount, scientists can calculate how long ago the animal died. But, but here's the thing with carbon-14 uh, dating. With, with carbon-14 dating, it, it'll only take you back to thousands of years before it breaks down, not millions and billions of years. So how are they coming up with millions and billions of years? It's because of their worldview that they start with, not based on the truth. And radioactive dating methods, by the way, they usually give a number of different results for the same formation and often for the same rock. So one person can date it and then it'll be one thing this many years and somebody else can come and date that same rock and it'll give another number because it's not reliable. In fact, 
Uh, there, there's been stories about lava flows from volcanoes with known historical ages, but yet and still, it would date to millions or billions of years old because this, this system, this dating method, this radioactive dating method is unreliable. In fact, um, many of you know of Mount St. Helens. It's a volcanic peak in Cascade Range, southwestern uh, Washington, in our country, of course. Um, in fact, creationists have done some radiometric testing on rocks of known ages, um, such as those that formed from the Mount St. Helens eruption. And they found that they dated at tens of thousands of years, even though these rocks formed in 1980, because the volcano erupted on May 15, 1980. And so how can it erupt May 15, 1980, but when they dated using these, these methods here, these radioactive dating methods, it dates to all these crazy amount of years, tens of thousands of years. It's not reliable. And so evolutionists who solely rely on this dating method are relying on something that is not reliable. And so in one day, in one day, in regard to this eruption here, thousands of rock layers were formed that evolutionists had always claimed would take millions of years to form. People were alive to see it, so they know it's not millions of years. And so radiometric dating does not work as a reliable indicator of the age of the earth or its rocks. And so that's another problem, another flaw. Another flaw of evolution is irreducible complexity. This is one of my favorites, actually. Um, There's somebody named uh, Michael or Mike Behe. He's a biochemist. He gave the original definition of an irreducibly complex system. And this is what he means by this. And he wrote this in Darwin's Black Box in 1996. And to give the page number, page 39. He says, by irreducibly complex, I mean a single system composed of several well-matched interacting parts that contribute to the basic function wherein the removal of any one of the parts causes the system to effectively cease functioning. And so what it means is that a system that is irreducibly complex is one in which all of the components work together and they are necessary in order for that um, component to function well. For example, and this is a classic example, a mousetrap. If any part of that mousetrap is missing, all because evolution is waiting on the missing link and because it's supposed to evolve over time, over millions of years, then that mousetrap is never going to work. So in other words, the mousetrap had to be created completely in order for it to work properly. And so that's a classic example scientists use when when they refer to um, something being irreducibly complex. And so another example would be like the eye. The eye 
You know, we couldn't wait millions and billions of years to evolve. It had to be created as is, fully functioning. No evolution. That theory would just fall apart just thinking about the eye because it's irreducibly complex. You cannot take any one component from the eye if the eye is going to work properly. So God made the eye complete, as the scripture says, when he created the, the, the animals and humans. The same thing with blood clotting. It wouldn't work properly if, if it took billions and millions of years to get the proper components to, to work properly. Everything had to be created completely, you know, including in something as um, micro, you know, something you would have to look under a microscope to see like um, a bacterial flagellum or flagellum. So it says flagellum. And so... The thing is, I kind of look blurry, but the bacteria usually lives in watery environments. And it also needs to swim in order to get food and to get away from enemies, right? And so that's what the bacterium needs. And so it needs this uh, flagellum in order to get around. It's almost like this propeller. So that's how it moves. But think about it. Um, If evolution were true, then this thing would have never survived because it wouldn't be able to move around to eat and it also wouldn't be able to get away from its enemies. And so it needed the flagellum to be completely built and intact at the moment of creation. And so this is another example of something being irreducibly complex. You see, these irreducibly complex systems, they cannot happen by evolution because the theory of evolution, that's molecules to man evolution, it's bound by this step-by-step process over millions and billions of years in order to get some type of um, survival advantage. And so this, this, this couldn't work. That theory couldn't work with these, with these systems like something like a, you know, bacterial uh, flagellum. See, Charles Darwin, in fact, this is the crazy thing about it, is that he even knew that this point that we're talking about, irreducible complexity, he even knew that this was a key test for his theory to fall apart. This is what he said. He said, if it could be demonstrated that any complex organ existed which could not possibly have been formed by numerous successive slight modifications my theory would absolutely break down newsflash your theory breaks down (laughs) and so number nine number nine flaw the law of biogenesis all all these fancy terms but all it's all this means is that life comes from life and so The theory of evolution falls apart just with this law of biogenesis. Because how can you get life from non-life as the theory of evolution proposes? And so this law, once again, shows the flaws in the theory of evolution. And by the way, there, there have been some scientists who've tried to simulate the origin of life with these experiments But all that shows is that some intelligence is needed in order for life to be created. That's all it shows. But not only that, but when these scientists do these experiments, 
they are using materials that have already been created. But where God created out of nothing. So it's like, okay, if you're going to try to simulate uh, the origin of life and get rid of God and push God out of the picture, then what you need to do, scientists who doesn't believe in God, what you need to do is create your own material out of nothing and then do the experiment. But they're unable to do it because they're not God. Number 10, the 10th flaw is the scientific method. The scientific method. See, there are two types of uh, sciences. You have operational scientists, you have historical science. So operational science deals with the present and it deals with testing existing data. And it arrives at conclusions based on repeated observations on existing phenomena. So that's on the screen. And then historical science deals with the past. It's not repeatable. And so the theory of evolution deals with historical science. They cannot go back and test it, but yet and still they're, they're speaking as if their theory is truth. But they can't test their theory. They're dealing with historical science. And so since no man was there to record or even witness the beginning, they have to come up with their own conclusions on the basis of interpreting presently available information. They can't go back and test it. But the thing about this interpretation that evolutionists have is that it's influenced by their prior beliefs. So they bring their worldview, their beliefs into this. However, when it comes to the creation of everything, when it comes to historical science, we as believers who who believe that God created everything, we are choosing to believe the one true eyewitness. You see, no man can go back and see how things were created, but we we do have an eyewitness and, and this eyewitness has written it down in the scriptures for us. In fact, Genesis 1-1, once again, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And so God being the eyewitness, God being the intelligent designer, God being the creator, God being eternal. He is the only one who knows how space, matter, time was created because he is the one who put it into existence. He created it. And so as believers, we trust in the one true eyewitnesses where as people who believe in the theory of evolution, it's fact, they are, they're just trusting in their own whims and their own interpretations, which are influenced by their own prior beliefs. You see, unfortunately, even evolution, this molecules to man evolution, unfortunately, is taught as a fact. We've shown tonight that it's not a fact. Some of you, many of you already knew it wasn't a fact before the study, but it's taught as a fact. You see it even in some cartoons. You see it on YouTube. You see it taught in schools or whatever. It's taught as a fact, but it's a theory and it supports the philosophy of naturalism. And naturalism is a worldview that says that nature is all there is. And so they remove God from the picture. But since 
These believers in the theory of evolution who think it's a fact, who receive it as a fact, since they're not able to go back in time to test their theory, what do they have to use? They have to use faith. In fact, they have to put more faith in this than, than, than we need. Because we, we, have, we, we have one who is an eyewitness, who had it written down. They, this theory doesn't. So it takes more faith to believe in this theory than it does to, to believe that, that, a, that an eternal God created everything. Even angels, spirits, souls. But people receive it as a fact. Now, I'm just wondering tonight, should a person who believes they were created by chance, should they be a reliable source in telling you how to live your life, what you should do with your life? Because everything you tell me is going to be chance. You're not going to know for sure because you believe in the theory of chance. And so it's not wise to base your life upon a theory that's all about chance. But obviously, as Christians, yes, we, 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 we need faith to receive what we see in the scriptures. But once again, we believe in the one who is the eyewitness. And so the information we have and believe is it is reliable. And so I've been a school teacher before in the public school. And so I know for a fact that not just then, but, but even now, the public schools they still teach in this theory. And we often hear that the schools remove religion from school. But, but the truth is, they, they really didn't remove religion from school. What they did was remove Christianity from schools. And they replaced Christianity with another religion. And that religion is the theory of evolution. Since they got to receive it by faith. And so if a person believes or have faith in this theory, if they have faith in what Charles Darwin thought, then then what's going to happen is, according to this view, to them, there is no morality. To them, there is no right and wrong. Now, get this. Ever since uh, Bible instruction and prayer have been taken out of public schools and other public institutions in the early 1960s, Um, The following disturbing trends have occurred from 1962 through 1990. So this is going way back. But but look at the difference in stats from 1962 to 1990, um, just with Bible instruction and prayer being removed from public schools. From that amount of time, there's a 400 increase in violent crime just from 1962 to 1990. I wonder what it is now. There was a 400 increase in illegal drug use. There was a 300 increase in STDs. There was a 200% increase in the divorce rate. There was a 100 point average decrease in SAT scores. There was a 429% increase in children born to parents who are not married. So ever ever since the Bible instruction and prayer have been removed from school, those are the stats from 1962 to 1990. So, so if I'm just an accident, if, if I'm just here by chance, then that there can't be any morality. That, that has to be the thought of some of these people. But, but also get this. There was an article for Education Week where, where it presented 
the fact that there were 158 school shootings in which at least one person was killed or injured since 2018 up until this year. We're not all the way through this year. But in 2018, there were 24 school shootings in which at least one person was killed or injured. In 2019, there was also 24. In 2020, there was 10. 2021, 35. 2022, 51. 2023, it's 14. And the year isn't over. And so no, no wonder these, they're not going to think there's any type of morality. But there is morality because there's a moral lawgiver, the creator God. Amen. They're also going to think that, that there's no purpose in life. So what, what am I here for? They're also not going to have any hope beyond the grave. However, John eleven twenty five says, he who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. You see, an intelligent designer or an intelligent design comes from an intelligent designer. That this is what the, the youth need to know. This is what young adults need to know, that an intelligent design comes from an intelligent designer. Life can only come from a life giver. According to John 1, uh, verses 1 through 4, and I'll just skip to verse 4. It says, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. And so life can only come from a life giver, and that is God. An intelligent design can only come from an intelligent designer, and that is God. Order can only come from a God of order. And creation can only come from a creator. But not everybody, unfortunately, believes in the creator, as it tells us in Romans chapter 1, verses 20 and 21, because it says, For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made. So based on the things that are made, based on when we look up at the sky and we see the sun, we see the moon, we, we see the stars. So based on these things that are made, we can see God's eternal power. We can see his Godhead or his divine nature. We can see his invisible attributes from creation. And so none of no person has any excuse because there is something called general revelation that there is a creator. Why? Because once again, there is a creation. But because although they knew God, in other words, they saw the evidence of God, they did not glorify him or honor him as God, nor were they thankful but they became futile. In other words, they became worthless in their thoughts and their foolish hearts were darkened. And that describes many of the people today, unfortunately. And so we need to pray that the spiritual blinders will be lifted from from those who are in darkness. You see, if you're here tonight or if you're listening or if somebody will be listening in the future, you need to know that you are not here by accident. Maybe you were an oops or accident to your parents, but you're not an accident in the sight of God. In fact, Psalm 139 verse 14 says, I will praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. In other words, I am remarkably and wonderfully made. Uh, Another translation says, you made me in an amazing and wonderful way. You are not an accident. We are not an accident. 
We are created with a purpose. You are love. You, you have some type of purpose to your life. God wants you to live for his glory. He wants you to live in order to honor him. And the scripture tells us that God will honor those who honor him. That, that's, that's the scriptures that you can find that in the word of God. And this same God, this eternal God, as the worship team takes the stage, he wants a personal relationship with us. And if you have a personal relationship with them already through faith in Jesus, praise God. Grow in that fellowship with him. Get to know him more through studying the word. But if you don't have a personal relationship, I would just say uh, respond to the call to salvation. If the Holy Spirit is convicting you of sin, because we're all born sinners and we're in need of a savior, then repent and put your trust in Jesus for salvation because you can become a child of God like the rest of the Christians, like the rest of believers, because God desires all men to be saved and to come into the knowledge of the truth. And when you become a child of God and those who are already children of God, you already know this, your destination becomes heaven. And that's where you will dwell forever with God. And the best thing about heaven is the fact that God is there. And in heaven, in eternity, you're going to be able to see his face. There's no more death there. There's no more sorrow. All of your tears are going to be dried. So no crying. There's not going to be any more pain. There's not going to be any more sickness. In fact, the the former things are going to be wiped away and everything is going to become new. The same God who created everything in Genesis 1 is going to be the same God who creates everything and spend eternity with us as we read Revelation. Father, we thank you for tonight. We thank you for creating us. We thank you that you created us and we have a, a, a purpose. Help us, Lord, to be all that you want us to be in Christ Jesus. I pray that you bless my brothers and sisters tonight, those who are in attendance here, everybody's on this campus, that you'll bless us with traveling grace on the way back home, that you use us in a mighty way this week. Fill us afresh with your Holy Spirit. Be glorified in and through our lives. We love you. We thank you. We give you praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this teaching from God's Word. If you have any questions, would like to request prayer, or want more information about our church and how you can experience the love and hope of Jesus Christ in your life, please visit calvaryqueencreek.org.